Or perhaps you'll want a second opinion. <sighs> Brain cloud? I knew it. Well, I, I didn't know it, but I knew it. Yes. What am I going to do? You have some time left, Mr. Banks. You have some life left. My advice to you is... live it well. Ladies, gentlemen, and lost wayward souls alike, welcome to Ramblin', an Amblin' podcast. The podcast where we leap into the smouldering crater of Amblin' entertainment to escape the cold, regimented demands of modern society. <laughs> I am one half of your host, Andy Godian. And I'm the other half, Joshua <laughs> doing this in person again, and it's yeah. still an adjustment to make. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't look at you until I said my own name. <laughs> you stared right into my soul. <laughs> uh, anyway, here we are. Here we here are. Um, stepping into the 1990s. Thank you all for joining us for our review of the 80s. Um, we hope you enjoyed it and also appreciate that the 80s was hard letting go of. We'll miss it. We'll miss it. We'll miss it. But fear not. The 90s of Amblin is as equally an interesting and diverse scattering of movies the first one being john patrick shanley's joe versus the volcano and we shan't be alone in our discussion of the movie Ooh, no. entire uh for later on in the episode we'll be introducing our guest as we'll be joined by radio one and one extra film critic ali plum mm-hmm. uh very grateful again for ali for finding the time to speak to us and we look forward to sharing the discussion on joe versus the volcano w- with you further down in the episode. But before we get to all that, there's some housekeeping to see too. (laughs) 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 To introduce us into our first uh, 90s Amblin movie, uh, a weird one at that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here is young master Joshua Glenn to talk you through everything that is Joe versus the Volcano. I don't know what that was. I feel odd today. (laughs) (laughs) Before we started recording, don't quite feel aligned correctly, but we'll... We will end you, or we'll persevere. You know, anything is quite fitting for the start of an episode about Joe versus yeah. the Volcano. <laughs> I really feel like I have brain cloud. It's a very immersive experience today. So, Joe versus the Volcano. Uh, Joe Banks, played by Tom Hanks, which is a nice little rhyming couple there, <laughs> is uh, a, beaten, <laughs> a beaten down Winston Smith type, working a dead-end job in a factory for shouty hypocrite boss Mr. Watori, played by Dan Hadea. Who's always nice to see yeah. thing. I'm not arguing that. <laughs> <laughs> I know he got the job, but can he do the job? Somewhere between a hypochondriac and a chronically sick person, Joe has a habit of visiting his doctor only to be told that he's medically fine. The visit, however, this visit, however, sorry, I can't read my own 
typing. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Ellison, played by Robert Slack, in Stack. Stack. Oh, Robert God. Stack. <laughs> See what I mean? Yeah. I thought it would be easier than this. Uh, Robert Stack, playing Dr. Ellison, <laughs> informs him that he has an incurable brain cloud, which will kill him in five to six months. So I'm not sick except for this terminal disease, Joe asks, which has no symptoms. That's right, replies Dr. Ellison. <laughs> Somewhat liberated by this news, Joe proceeds to give two fingers, or a prosthetic arm, to his boss and ask out his co-worker, Dee Dee, played by Meg Ryan, number one. <laughs> Things don't quite work out with Dee Dee, however, as the news of his terminal illness causes her to flee. The next day, Joe is visited by wealthy industrialist Samuel Graynamore, played by Lloyd Bridges who makes him a strange proposition based on a very peculiar and particular dilemma. Greatermore needs a mineral called Boobaroo in order to manufacture superconductors, but the only deposits of it are on the Pacific island of Waponiwoo, whose natives will only give it to him on the condition that he gives them something in return. You see, Andrew, they believe that the fire god of the volcano on the island must be appeased by a voluntary human sacrifice once every century. Given Joe's impending brain cloud demise, Graynamore proposes that he offer himself as a human sacrifice. In return, he'll pay for whatever Joe wants during the final few days of his life. Joe accepts. After enjoying a night out in New York City, revamping his style with the help of his chauffeur, Marshall, played by Ozzy Davis, and investing in some high-end suitcases from the world's most fanatical <laughs> luggage salesman, played by Barry McGovern, Joe departs for Los Angeles, where Graynamore's daughter, Angelica... Meg Ryan number two, will help him catch the island-bound boat captained by Patricia, Meg Ryan number three. <laughs> As Joe and Patricia start to bond and fall in love, Joe realises just how big the world can be and learns to look around in wonder. It's good, it's good. I didn't appreciate, I kind of forgot to appreciate that it's Lloyd Bridges and Robert Stack back together after Airplane. <laughs> that, Joe, I didn't even occur to me. <laughs> 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 so and this is a bizarre bizarre film to kick off the and mm. the 90s as we'll get into with ali but as as it's kind of i don't as it's kind of reflective of the one the kind of response we've had to a call out for comments on it and just generally in discussion it's another one of these amblin movies that barely anyone seen from yeah. my immediate circle at the very least anyway um and it has a that weird cultural footprint where this one is firmly in the category of cult movie mm-hmm. um like i don't like very very kind of per- had it in my periphery when i was younger having seen it quite, like, like quite a young age but also even in like the grand scheme of everyone's career, it seems to be one that's forgotten about. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. It's, oh, but then it's a cult. It, it's not like something like Fandango that is. It, it's cultish in a way, but cultish insofar as maybe Tarantino once said he quite liked it. It's not <laughs> not like it's got a big um, I about that cult element following. Of Fandango as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this feels like a this sort of a select bunch of cineasts or those cineasty yeah. types who really hold this film very very dear because people that like this film. Like love this film mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. very deeply, um, so it is a weird one. It's not like Dad, in which it just doesn't exist. It does yeah. exist, but yeah, only in in a, in particular corners. Yeah, and even like kind of looking into what is now the production note schedule of the show. Um, even looking into it on that kind of level, there, yeah. there wasn't a great deal of material to no. sift through. <laughs> it sucks because to watch the movie and to see the level of of 
you know, yeah, of practical mad. work <laughs> on display. I'd love to know. I, I, want, I want a bumper arrow or, you know, yeah. again, arrow. We're trying to, we're trying to get shells for you. Please, please pick up the phone. I'd love to see a bumper, you know, behind the scenes or even like a retrospective in which yeah. the key players. I say Shanley must look back on this with fondness because it's very comfortably. Yeah, because I, I, I haven't, best I haven't right. certainly heard him talk about it at all. No. Um, but uh, it does mark his directorial debut, uh, young Mr. Shanley, who is an Irish-American playwright, who just before this had won an Oscar for writing the screenplay to Cher's Moonstruck, released in 1987. But before that, he'd already made quite a, quite a substantial name for himself as a celebrated off-Broadway playwright, with such productions as Savage in Limbo, Italian-American Reconciliation, and Women of Manhattan. All of which, when you kind of like read a bit further into them, particularly a... Uh, Savage and Limbo, which is about like a group of 30, like early thirty something friends who are like at that kind of early life crisis mm. where they feel the weight of a ticking clock and feel like they're in dead end jobs and what have you. So there's a lot of the kind of sense of where Joe kind of gets birthed out of and yeah, some of these yeah. big early play productions and their successes. Like even reading up on reviews of them, there's like touches the absurd with like big emotionality and romance which very much plays into uh the identity of joe i feel mm-hmm. which I, I didn't fully appreciate before actually watching joe <laughs> it's very much <laughs> yeah. something i've kind of picked up on as i've looked more into shanley it's like okay you know it maybe does it's, it's not quite so because it's quite a different tonality to moonstruck which is itself has like quite big emotional swings yeah it's like kind of acidic tonic underneath it all that kind of keeps it spiky and not completely saccharine yeah um but yeah it's certainly not a, it does it also isn't a film that bears that much re- <laughs> bears much similarity to joe particularly the 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 absurd nature of which joe dives into but uh as a hollywood player shanley certainly seems to have used his clout of moonstruck to push to uh, make Joe versus Volcano his directorial, directorial debut because as we'll get to with Ali, it does feel like it's someone who's very much got complete control over what is yes. kind of going out there and being shot. But uh, <clears throat> before Joe, he had scripted two more Hollywood productions along with Moonstruck. Uh, again, both films I've got very vague um, recollections of. Uh, the, the Jodie Foster crime drama Five Corners in 1988 and the crime comedy caper The January Man in 1989, starring Kevin Kline, Susan Sarandon, Harvey Keitel, and Alan Rittman. Um, this is a, another one of those which um, <laughs> it has, a, I think it's one quite notorious from the late 80s of being like a big kind of, uh, a, a bit of a flop and one that yeah. a big critically, it was seemed to be one that critics had on a dartboard sort of a, approach no one no one seems to have liked this film. there's no cult reappraisal of that one no but with a title like that you can, you can see it coming <laughs> but yeah i think it's but would be fair to say that both of those films weren't quite as acclaimed as moonstruck was mm-hmm. in 87 um and for joe being his first director debut he doesn't direct again until 2008's doubt but he does continue working on a on Broadway, uh, namely with the original Broadway production of uh, Doubt before the film in 2008. And he also contributed to a few Hollywood screenplays over time. Uh, the survival thriller Alive, 
That wasn't the only film he scripted in 1993, mind. He also has a writing <laughs> credit on the Amblin animation produced. Yeah. We're back! A dinosaur <laughs> story. So more on that in a, in a few You've got to shout the first time. part of that title. We're though. back! We're back! <laughs> <It's a dinosaur laughs> it does have an exclamation mark. Bless me. <laughs> and he also scripted 1995's Congo. Uh, the Frank Marshall directed film based on a novel by Michael Crichton, which is another one of these ones... That feels weird. It isn't an Amblin, considering mm. its pedigree. Very weird movie, that. That's what I haven't seen. My dad used to read a lot of um, Crichton. Michael Crichton's on holidays, and I used to always read the blurbs and think, oh, that sounds scary. Congo's all about weird. <laughs> bloodthirsty jungle animals. Yeah. <laughs> he used to describe bits to me, and I used to go, oh, I can't read that. That's scary. <laughs> Tell me some more. Ah. <sighs> But yes, Shanley would not direct again until 2008's Doubt, and he was also the writer-director behind Wild Mountain Time, which was released in the US last year, I think mm. came out in the UK this year. I right? don't even know if it got a... The- well, it won't have got a theatrical... No, I think it was straight to... It was kind of sort of embarrassedly farted out by whoever picked it. Was Sky, did you say? Maybe. I feel like it is already the death for but we'll, we'll more on Wild Mountain Time yeah. shortly. In a, in a, a curious filmogra- filmography, particularly mm-hmm. for on the director's side, because three very disparate movies on the surface that really don't have anything in common. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what, what have I got here? I've said, kind of said this point. Looking at his career at this point, the touches of the absurd mixed with themes of existentialism and romance that clearly in our enjoyed seemed borne out the kind of writing he was doing, particularly in the, his early plays, such as Savage and Limbo in particular. But of course, I think the main reason that this has a cultural f- footprint and why a lot of people know about it is it's the first time that Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan are cast together as an on-screen mm-hmm. romantic pairing, as of course they would go on to put their chemistry to good use in Nora Ephron's Sleepless in Seattle in 1993, and You've Got Mail in 1998. Have you seen either of those? Both. both. Yeah, I watched both. all of Nora Ephron's <laughs> films in lockdown as well, in one of the lockdowns. And I like, I, I actually prefer You've Got Mail to Sleepers in Seattle. Yeah, Seattle. I prefer it's, You've it's Got Mail. It's less intrinsically creepy. Yeah. Sleepers in something Seattle. I can't quite shake off of no. Sleepers As charming as they both are, it's just, um, it doesn't play right. It feels a bit off. Kind of yeah. like how I feel today. <laughs> I'm like in Seattle today. Well, yeah, I no, remember great, finding great his films. kid really annoying. Yeah. <laughs> another one. You know when you were describing a screenplay to Moonstruck? Yeah. That, you could apply that to a lot of Efron's things, I think. Because she mm. has that warm exterior, but there is a deceptively sharp, yeah. you know, um, acidic, acerbic undercurrent to it. So there, there, is, there is, I think there is a, you can make out a, a through line between those Hanks, Ryan pairings, I think, and this one. Yeah. But this is so much more overtly esoteric and strange (laughs) and it is weird for two films that are so beloved culturally you know I think everyone has at least heard of them most people have seen them and most people love at least one of those two films yeah it's weird this is the first one in that (laughs) official trilogy because like even Sleepless in Seattle is something that I always think is a lot earlier than 93 Mm. I don't know what it is so in my head Joe versus Volcano shouldn't be the first one but it is Uh, both Hanks and Ryan were pretty much, I would say, at the pinnacle of their careers as comedy stars on, on at this juncture. Uh, Hanks, who of course we last saw on The Rambling Journey in The Money Pit in 1986, <laughs> <laughs> had hit big with 
Big. I got my name from Big. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think you brought that up. I, may, I probably have. I, I may have said that to Griff on the money. <laughs> Oh, claims to fame. <laughs> Named after that character in Big. You know, Big and Big. <laughs> That's why I'm called Big Glenn. Josh is just a nickname. Uh, but of course, he had, he had Big in 1988 and had also been in Joe Dante's The Burbs and Turner and Hooch in 1989. To slightly less success than Big, but very much kind of solidifying his position as a comedy leading man. And... I would say that at this point in the early 90s sees him at a point of transition because he's at this, he's three years away from his first Oscar win for Philadelphia. And at 1990 in particular, the two films he has out seem to really put him at a career crossroads because he's got Joe versus the Volcano and Brian De Palma's Bonfire of the Vanities. Mm. <laughs> uh, two of, I think you would, at the grand scheme, probably two of the biggest flops he had at that juncture. Even if there, yeah. there are a few comedies in the 80s that didn't do a lot, but particularly at this point, these are two films that really seem to do a bit of damage. Yes. <laughs> I think Bonfire, I mean, the, the worst you can say about this one is that people have just forgotten about it. Bonfire of the Vanities, that, that's often out to be whipped. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, after this 1990 doesn't work again for two years until Richard Donner's Radio Flyer mm-hmm. in 92, and he also has. Uh, League of Their Own in 92 as well. Yeah. Which feels like the start of like heading into 93 with Sleepers of Seattle yeah. and Philadelphia. League of and Their that Own was around the time, course, correct? <laughs> that was around the time that Hillary recorded the voice stuff for Woody, right? Because mm. he recorded that several years before. That's true. And so he recorded it as a guy who was a little bit down on his luck. And by the time the film came out, he'd won two Oscars. Yes. <laughs> That's a weird thought, isn't Talk it? Talk about it, yeah. It's been I did at a point in my career where yeah. I wasn't looking so hard. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, and for Meg Ryan, I'd argue uh, who we also last saw on the Ramblin' Journey back in 1987 in Joe Dante's Inner mm. Um She's probably, I. you could make the argument that she's a bigger star than Hanks is at this mm. point because this is the year after uh, when Harry Met Sally came out in 89, which is, you know, still... Very much celebrated as the probably the greatest rom com ever made. Yeah, yeah. it's still unbeaten. <laughs> Again, Efron. Yeah, penned. Efron penned. Rob Reiner directed, and um, and you, I think you kind of feel her in a way solidifying her comedic presence mm-hmm. here. But after kind of really, really nailing it, and when Harry met Sally, and then kind of going hot wild in something like Joe versus Volcano, yeah. where you kind of have the <laughs> yeah, brain. Yeah. And the and the scope with, within the three characters that she plays to kind of really go into the more um, let off the more absurd arrows in her in her quill. Yeah. <laughs> Is yeah. that what it's called? Uh, yeah. If it's not, then tweet us at Ramble. Yes. <laughs> so on the on that surface, it seems a bit of a no brainer having to. Dependable mm. stars in there who have like more than got earned their stripes on it, particularly the on the on the side of the comedy, um, and one of them coming off of the back of uh, one of the most celebrated rom coms uh, ever made, and also having the director and writer be a man who's just won a mm-hmm. who's very recently won an Oscar, um, and I think part of that kind of clearly on the surface packaging, and this is all completely me 
spitballing here because again there wasn't a great deal to go on yeah. here so i'm only assuming that this is what the kind of idea the feeling was at the time of letting this kind of go into production to just kind of let these guys make the film that they want to make and uh there, there is a like a short behind the scenes like making of doc on the amblin youtube uh channel which very much just seems to express that they all seemed really quite on board and mm. ge- were gelling with exactly what the kind of tonality they, of Shanley's. That's... And it comes across. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they, know what they know what they're doing. They know exactly what yeah. Shanley's going for and yeah. they're on board. <laughs> it's like everyone... Then this is going to sound like an insult, but I am a defender of this one. It's like Uma Thurman in Batman and Robin. She's mm. like the only person in that film who knows what Schumacher's going for and taps into that. It's like yeah. a whole movie of Uma Thurman's in Batman and Robin. <laughs> <laughs> We'll re- reiterate that is that is a it's that's a, a positive remark. <laughs> you guys know my opinions on on night and certain nineties blockbusters. <laughs> like the only major issue that I could find was that Spielberg uh, didn't really like, and we'll talk about this shot with Ali in a bit because it's one of the better shots in it. But Spielberg apparently really really didn't like the one take out of the doctor's office in the street as it's uh, pulling out of the office really? building. Um, it maybe wasn't necessarily so much a shot, but he was a bit uh, uneasy with the fact that Shanley hadn't shot like any coverage of the scene beyond this one take pulling out, and Spielberg like prompted Shanley to go back and shoot more additional angles from it, uh, which were probably discarded in yeah, favor of the one shot. Yeah, so it's a good shot, but. Maybe it's more of a that's more of a producer kind of trying to teach a new mm-hmm. director a lesson, being like, even yeah. if this is a shot you see in your head, get coverage just yeah. so you've got something to work with. Especially, you, yeah, someone unproven, someone who a, a, you know a playwright and, and screenwriter who's not yet been behind the camera. Mm-hmm. You might think, okay, maybe you've got it in your head, but do you do you know? Sort of you, the like need when you come to edit, yeah, just because the shot works in your head when yeah. you're that sat in an editing bay and put it there. It's not always going to come out, but in this case, it did work out. Oh yeah, but uh, yeah, I feel like that's more of a just a little filmmaking one I want. Yeah, to be like yes, but also shoot more. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. Like, we can't reiterate enough, and we'll reiterate it again with Ali later on. But you you cannot underestimate just how little interference there seems yeah. to be. In this <laughs> um, which I think is something that maybe slightly scared uh, mm. Warner Brothers and. Maybe not necessarily Amblin, but certainly more from a distribu- distribution side. Let me just double check. I've got that right. That is a Warner Brothers film. I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Cool. I'll cut that bit out. Yeah, when it came to the selling of the film, I can't imagine it was an easy proposition mm. when you look at the package that you're given. So, so much so that a lot of the marketing material around the film from the poster to the trailers themselves, kind of focus on the antics on the islands that make up a lot of the final act of the film when Joe is facing said titular volcano and making it look more like a knockabout rom-com with two people falling in love on a tropical island surrounded by quirky locals. That is the kind of... That seems to be the product that it's selling. And and you can understand why when audiences then went to go and see what (laughs) the final product actually was, that they weren't in any way prepared for (laughs) the package that they did get. Uh, (laughs) Resulting in the film earning only $39.4 off of a $25 million budget, which Mm -hmm. I imagine was not 
particularly well. No. Receive <laughs> I all involved. It was also the, uh, you got a C plus cinema score, which I oh, suppose okay. indicates a, an audience shrug. Yeah, like, it's not an F. <laughs> it's not one of the, what is it, tw- F. Tw- 20 Fs of all time? Maybe, maybe it's not even yeah. 20 Fs. I'm trying to think what has got an F now. Mother. Mother got, got an F. F. <laughs> I think the Neon Demon got an F. <laughs> Red Sparrow, did that get an F? Mm, no, I can see enough people. Not be on that list. But yeah, so yeah, that I think the, the, the C plus cinema score just shows that yeah. people just didn't really know what to make of it. And even like, cri- even critics at the time yeah. were equally as kind of mixed and baffled. Egypt, Ebert loved it, but uh, Vincent Gambi of the New York Times Slated it, stating, Not since Howard the Duck has there been a big-budget comedy with feet as flat as those of Joe versus a volcano. Many gifted people contributed to it, but there's no disbelieving the grim evidence on the screen. That is just ridiculous. <laughs> no disrespect to Vincent can be, but, you know, Vincent can't be serious when he's <laughs> saying... Very good. <clears throat> <laughs> no, I don't feel too bad about that one. Actually. No, no, that was quite good. <laughs> <laughs> but the, those the two things, it, that's, a, a, the, I don't understand. Apples and oranges. Yeah. There's, there's, I don't see the similarities there at all. Between How the Duck yeah. and Jim <laughs> <laughs> Volcano. How the Duck's a movie that I wish that I could cling to and defend, but it is abhorrently bad. <laughs> it's, I think it's just one but, that it, it's got, like looking at it as kind of like a. Hollywood production that just seems to have gone for the most mm. like uh, the most absurd impulse at every given yeah. avenue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I, this just does not feel flat-footed at all to me. No, there's certainly a lot more absurd original thought going on in Joe yeah. versus Volcano to a point where certainly on a thematic level, it's doing a lot, even if like mm. the story itself doesn't feel completely uh <laughs> yeah wrangle but even then i kind of feel like it is quite carefully controlled definitely and, yeah. um as we'll get into now because I, th- I think we may as well just keep chugging on and introduce uh yeah our guests for the episode let's, <laughs> let's not beat around the bush let's mm-hmm. not you know without any further ado here's ali plum <laughs> live like a king die like a man that's what i say what do you say All right, I'll do it. <laughs> Here's my card. Ladies and gentlemen, please join us in giving a warm, rambling welcome to our guest, BBC Radio 1 and 1 Extras film critic and interviewer extraordinaire, Mr Ali Plum. Ali, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much again for coming along. A pleasure, and what a beautifully bizarro film to be discussing. It's an honour to be here, <laughs> and uh, it's an honour to talk about this film. I wonder whether we'll... Never stop talking about this film. <laughs> I have a lot I want yes. to do on this. <laughs> this is going to be quite the ramble, I'm sure. Yeah. And uh, over the course of our podcast journey so far, we've had uh, a number of uh, ex Warwick grads, seeing as we, we are two Warwick men ourselves. Uh, so a lot of our guests have been friends that we did the course with. And I'm right in thinking you are a fellow Warwick graduate. Yes, I studied English at uh, Warwick in the Humanities Building. If you know Warwick University, and if you do know it, I hope you remember it faintly, dear listener. It looks like it looks like about five or six shoeboxes shoved on top of one another, and I think, yeah. if I remember correctly, I think Prince Charles once used it, cited it as an example of 
a terrible bit of design. So that's obviously where all the creative, exciting, you know, artistic people are flourishing with humanity's ideas inside a crate. Yeah, some of that beautiful mid-20th century yeah, concrete yeah. design. Yeah, and brilliantly, you know, your family and your friends go, oh, we'd love to visit you in Warwick. We can go to the castle and we can blah, blah, blah. You know, it's the age-old joke. And, of course, it's actually in a um, car park outside of Coventry. But, um, <laughs> exactly. We could go to the Royal Leamington Spa Gardens, if you like. But it's, uh... who, were, who were the famous people that went to Warwick? Uh, well, there's Timmy Mallet, um, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Stephen Merchant, and he's a good one. Um, Adam Buxton was there for a term, and he hated it and left. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, the list goes. Sting goes, had a similar similar yep. process. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a list of I'd say about seven where you think, okay, I guess. <laughs> Would it be fair to say you are also a fellow veteran of the raw 1251 air- airwaves as well? <laughs> yeah, I think I can pretty much, you know, thank them for me having a job in the media at all, full stop. I absolutely love being part of the student radio station raw. We were part of a terribly named, oh, I can't believe I'm going to say this out loud, singles review show called Compact Disco. Oh wow. yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow, wow. Yeah. That that certainly hasn't aged uh, terribly at all. Um, <laughs> uh, and and our lead DJ was a Miss Mini Disc. Uh, anyway, no, it was it was <laughs> it was achingly cheesy, and it was essentially twelve or so. It's a, twelve it's or good so. Training ground. Yeah, just students talking to a microphone badly, as you'll hear again today from me. It's. It, I mean, look, I'm very grateful to it, but if I listen back to any of the stuff I'd done, hoy. No, mm. no thanks. I was going to say, I think some of our old episodes are somewhere on a Mixcloud site yeah. somewhere. <laughs> I recently rediscovered that account and, and gave our old episodes a bit of a listen, and it's simultaneously toe-curling, but vaguely um, vaguely sweet, you know, looking back at vaguely the old... Vaguely sweet. <laughs> vaguely that sweet. What, I think that's what people say about uh, Joe versus the Volcano. They go, yeah. it's, it's, it's quite toe-curling at times, but it's vaguely sweet. It'd be sweet. <laughs> it reminds me of that uh, Arrested Development uh, moment. I don't know whether you're a fan when uh, one of the characters is making, trying to cook, and essentially they've chucked, you know, some pork into a big bowl of water, and they sip it and they go, "Mmm, it's like water, but with a smack of ham to it." And you think, <laughs> "Yeah, that's it. That's that's as good as it gets." <laughs> That's the nail on the head. Put that on the Blu-ray re-release for Joe yeah, Bates' exactly. Volcano. It's ham water. Mm, ham water. <laughs> I'm being needlessly <laughs> cynical so so soon. I think Joe versus the Volcano is unbelievably lovely in its own undefinable way. But I think yeah. to a casual cynic, it is very easy to load both barrels of the shotgun mm-hmm. and, and, and let one off for this one, for yeah. sure. As many seem to have done back at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, before we get like heavy into the, the Joe of it all itself, um, if you if you allow me to uh, heap some praise on you a little bit, I think like your interview <laughs> technique is one of the... You have such a clear expression of joy for cinema and, and that is infectious for the people you're interviewing. And they like people clearly just love talking about the love of making movies and the joy of loving movies as well uh where does amblin itself for you kind of place in that kind of 
clear joy for for the movies. I mean, there's I mean, everyone brings it up when they come on your show, but obviously Jurassic Park and Back to the Future are you know key load bearing you know parts of the building that yeah. is that is the cinema in my mind. Like when you're young, I think so many Amblin Entertainment products make up part of why you start loving cinema and i don't say that lightly mm-hmm. like it's extraordinary what they've done you know gremlins et goonies like an american tale was something that was always on terrestrial tv when i was a kid like it just goes on and on and on and on and on and it's it's an extraordinary mix like how can they also be the people behind cape fear and the land before time i <laughs> i can't really get my head around it you know noises off uh hook the flintstones and how about poltergeist i i just think it yeah what what they do people seem to remember them only as being the quaint spielberg-esque stuff mm-hmm. and i think they might forget you know that they also did Tu wong fu and the men in blacks <laughs> exactly <laughs> and a bunch of uh, late career eastwards as well. So it's it's a very interesting path ahead of us, uh, Andrew, as we enter the nineties. <laughs> but before we yes. uh, <laughs> before we progress into the nineties, Ali, I do want to ask you the question that I ask all of our guests, and that is, uh, do you cry at the film ET, the extraterrestrial? Like I knew this question was coming. And <laughs> I just want to say that I think I have cried at ET, but it's not okay. a film that I cry at, as in. I don't expect myself to cry watching it now. But I think when I've watched it in the cinema, mm-hmm. there have been occasions when I've cried. So I think what I've done there is said, yes, or maybe <laughs> no, like I'm... It, it uh, has happened. Depends on it, the occasion. Yeah, like how tired am I? How, you know, hungover am I? Um, you know, has an alien recently landed and become part of my life you know it's that sort of thing but you know there are more tried and true you're going to make me weep movies like you know up in terms of just going Mm -hmm. you know bullseye but yeah no obviously et et i'm gonna put my neck out it's a good film uh, that spielberg and i I don't want to be controversial i don't want to rock the boat or anything but that spielberg he seems to know what he's doing yeah, he's that Spielberg uh, type. Sorry, that, <laughs> yeah, that, that keeps uh, keeps giving giving us that Spielberg gold. <laughs> so I'm going to chalk that as a one in my column, Andy. I think. I think so. I need. I need everything. I need all the scraps that I can get when it comes to this kind of uh, weepy validation. So thank you, Ali, from the from the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> Don't stop crying. <laughs> well. So, in terms of emotional reactions to films, then uh, we we sent you a list of, uh, of Amblin films that you could pick from uh, for the for the podcast, and you selected Joe versus the Volcano. So, what was what was your motivation behind that? What was the thought process that led to to you being on this episode today? So, I love Meg Ryan. I love Tom Hanks. I love Tom Hanks alone. I love Meg Ryan alone. I think they both have, you know, absolutely. 18 metric tons of extreme x factor and charm and screen presence they're extraordinary stars right tom hanks perhaps has had that stellar super career with all of the oscars and you know america's uncle type vibe it's strange to think that he's the guy that was you know remember back at the beginning of the pandemic when bond's release date moved it was bond's release date moving and tom hanks being in australia and having coronavirus that made me think right this, this is, is serious now. This is serious. <laughs> yeah. You know, it wasn't just one of those, hey, two weeks after two weeks, 
than xyz um so it's funny like he is everyone everyone is fond of tom hanks but for whatever reason i'd been warned off the smell that came out the top of this volcano it had been a movie that i had nearly watched a few times and maybe i'd seen scenes of it like on youtube and there are certain moments that are reasonably well known not like you know the laughing bit from the money pit but it was (laughs) like a movie that has its moments uh, like him dancing and that shark that's obviously made of rubber. Um, <laughs> shark you know, still looks fake. <laughs> super does. Um, so I knew of it. I was aware of it. I knew what the deal was. But I just never... It was never a movie that I found myself thinking, today's the day. And I wanted to pull the trigger. There's a better phrase. I wanted to take the leap. There we go. There into we the volcano and watch it with you guys because if not now never I, I would just you know sit in my cubicle type away and <laughs> here i am actually giving it a shot so that's why i went for it um thank you for joining me oh a, a very fitting journey absolute pleasure <laughs> <laughs> you'd seen it before i've seen you? it before oh, yeah you go first oh. you, go, <laughs> you go first you go first i had seen it before when i was about 14 i, I for whatever reason i've got a really distinct memory of an image of it in the radio times next to a freestyle review and it was a a time in my life where i took the reviews in the radio times as the the gospel for what the what what i should be probably gearing Mm -hmm. towards when i think of a film so i think i slightly dismissed it a bit when i saw it for the first time it just kind of because it it's so weird (laughs) i don't think i fully appreciated the 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 more the more let the layers to it more that like coming at it and as a guy in my late twenties as versus someone in my, his early teens just w- wouldn't really maybe have the patience to <laughs> to deal with back then. <laughs> yeah, it's a midlife crisis movie. It is talking mm. to this sort of forty-year-old, you know, Ferrari type that's either just going to rot into his keyboard or spend all of his children's inheritance. Like, I think it appeals to people in that bracket particularly or kids mm. because it does have a cartoon quality of just and then this happens and then this happens uh, with all sorts of yeah there's no really any there's not really any internal logic to this adventure you know as it on it quite clearly as an adult keys up odyssey robbers and crusoe romeo and juliet it is yeah this zigzaggy <laughs> tale just like the the pathway up to the front of the 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 famous office slash whatever it is, you know, lube factory. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I can't really put a phrase to it. So, yeah, I just, I wonder whether if I had watched this earlier, I would have got as much as I did out of it now. Um, I think give mm. me another 10, 15 years and yeah. it would really go, oh yeah, no, wow, does that does that mean something to me? But um, yeah, I, I I wonder full stop who this was aimed at. And I think that <laughs> yeah. that is its joy, its success, its beauty is in that it is not, you know, it says up top, Kathleen Kennedy, Frank Marshall, Steven Spielberg, you know, producers, Amblin. But I would love to have been in the notes meetings. I would love to have sat oh, yeah. down as yeah. they're hashing out the bare bones of the script, just the idea, the elevator pitch. And then this and then this and then this and then this. These will be the key scenes. Here are a few bits that I've written already. I'll go flesh that out. It seems to me like no one gave it any notes. And I love it for that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah, love yeah. it for just going, 
and the life raft is all of his suitcases. You know, that's... <laughs> the reason why it's good are reasons why other movies are bad. And I think that's what makes this film so unique and so special. And, you know, I finished watching it and immediately just tweeted, is there any other film quite like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Volcano? Because I, I come to this movie knowing that it's the third in the unofficial trilogy of Hanks and Ryan Indeed. films. Obviously, Sleepless in Seattle um, and You Got Mail. And this, you know, uh, it's yeah. just so... And this is the first one as well of that of that three. That it's just so weird that this is the point where that chemistry first got tested as well. <laughs> and you got, it does it like it clearly clearly work, works for them as well because like like the odd charm of it is seeing like two absolutely like perfectly matched movie stars mm-hmm. just like absolutely enjoying enjoying the hell out of each other's company. Te- technically. Mm. Well, I say te- ahead, technically there is a trilogy of uh, Hanks and Zemeckis, you know, pairings within this film alone. Given that Meg Ryan pays <laughs> three different, uh, three different people. Oh yeah, yeah. There's, uh, there's, there's, well, I mean, I think isn't there that kind of I think you'll find thing that she actually plays four roles because she does a voice of the mm. airline lady. Um, so that's one well, of those things that you you discover when you do a pub quiz and go, down. yeah, I'll watch that film one day. Yeah, it sounds good. <laughs> I will watch it. I will. I will. I will. <laughs> yeah, this, this. I mean, because I hadn't seen this film before, Andy, and you'd said to me before I watched it, uh, just prepare yeah, yourself. I give you a warning. Just be warned. That <laughs> this is whatever you think this movie is. This is absolutely not it, and that was doubly so for me because the image I had in my head was what I thought was the Pierce Brosnan film Volcano, but it turns out that the Pierce Brosnan <laughs> Volcano film was Dante's Peak. And is it Tommy Lee Jones yeah. who's actually in Volcano? So I had, yeah. I, had, I had several degrees of separation in my head from what this film actually is. And as I soon thought as it was it a starts... G, it was a G.I. Joe movie that, that was taken down a mountain, you know. <laughs> you can do it, Joe. Knowing <laughs> um, is only half the battle. <laughs> but as soon as this thing starts, you're in this hyper-stylized world that... And not, not not to make any crass generalizations, but this is this is kind of remarkable on several levels. And and the the first one being that it's the the debut film from a you know an acclaimed playwright, but it has such a a, a sense of cinematic vision to it. It's not just a case of mm. something being plonked in front of the screen and recorded in in sort of wide stagey tableaus. This is like dynamic and fluid and very expressionistic and. And from the off, I thought, ooh, Andy was right. This is very much not the film that I thought it was going to be. Have you guys ever seen the movie Toys by Barry Levinson? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. But, but I was much, much younger. So that's Robin Williams and Joan Cusack and Robin Wright and a whole bunch of people. Mm. And it has similar vibe. I mean, this movie reminds me of three dozen other films whilst at the same time like i say being very much its own thing but in the toys way you go wow this is whatever this is it is just going for it but yeah. i think yeah it toys i just think is bizarro whereas i think this is as you say it's this heightened you know it's like someone's gone up to the uh, mixing desk of some sort of you know flash recording studio for Drake's yeah. latest and just twiddled all of the knobs. This one's going up and that's going <laughs> down and then the charm's going here and the music's really catchy, but also what's going on with the 
back end of the plot and when do we actually get to the island it's all been shoved up and down and and yet whilst i'm not going to recommend anybody else goes and sees it straight away us three today i'm really pleased we've seen it and i'm yes. pleased that i've yeah. seen it and uh that's <laughs> to me is one of those bell ringing signs that it's a cult classic this movie mm-hmm. is a cult classic and as much as we said earlier on that Rotten Tomatoes, the general review lack of fanfare, that it was not good, three stars, bad, it's still not actually bad. I don't think anybody can really mm-hmm. nuke it. It's You no. can kind of have a go at it, but it's so it wears its heart on its sleeve. It's so romantic. It means so well, and it's so full of interesting, charming people that you go, oh, I don't want to hurt the thing. i fully agree like even kind of like looking at those reviews at the time as well you had your the likes of your roger ebert's being quite like Mm. emphatic over their love for it but then you had like people in the new york times kind of putting it on the same level as howard the this kind of great can be big hollywood (laughs) like this great hollywood flop and like i don't i i went back and watched the like original trailer as well which i think kind of gives some indication as to why some people would have been quite like standoffish of it because that whole trailer is pretty much just all made up of final moments when they're on the island so like it's that kind of case of like that's how it was so it's literally nothing else (laughs) i would say it has four big reveals four big reveals within the movie (laughs) that you would find charming and alarming and exciting Are just flat out in the trailer. Um, yeah. Most yeah. importantly, some of the best lines, like you know, when they're saying they love each other and they're shoving their face in each other's face, which mm. is so them. And there's this electricity. You go, oh, <laughs> they're, they're, they're literally moments before they're about to jump into the volcano. Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I usually attach a trailer to a tweet ahead of the epi- of an episode, but I feel like I feel like I should avoid it for this one <laughs> in some way. Yeah, I, and, then, and like it was aiming for a kind of more comedy thing. Like, isn't the poster mm, something yeah. along the lines of, you know, an, an a comedy adventure? Or it, it's like I'm not saying it isn't a comedy, but it isn't. How can I put this? Um, it's not a knockabout turner and hooch job um and it's not yeah and you know whilst there are elements of big to it it doesn't have like comic set pieces it's yeah Mm -hmm. it's eccentric in the extreme yeah yeah it's it's certainly it struck me as the closest thing that i can imagine to an amblin art film um and it it kind of the, the sort of auteurist flop that it reminded me of was um one from the heart, the couple of film from the early eighties that it's another one that foregrounds how artificial everything on screen is. And similarly to this, it's in service of something like the sort of excavation of a very deep, quite existentially dark human emotion. In this case, the mm. mid or, you know, quarter life crisis and, and um, the feeling that your life is, is trailing off and it's no longer yours anymore. And uh, yeah, it rem- I, it's like office yeah. space, except that yes. that's only a quarter of the movie. <laughs> Very yeah, much yes, yeah. It starts <laughs> off as sort of also sort of Gilliam esque. I think I know Brazil oh, is mentioned time. in a few other reviews. Yeah, yeah big um, time reviews for this, and it just starts off as this quite droll, subversive. Like um, <laughs> the bit that I keep thinking of is. <laughs> 
is when he first goes into the office and you hear this this cacophony of, I know he can get the job, but can he do the job, Harry? <laughs> yeah, Harry, but can he do the job? I know he can get the job, but can he do I'm not arguing with that. I'm not arguing that with you. It's, yeah. It's this, and you've got the, the, the buzzing of the lights in the background and you've got the droning of the environment and it's such, it's such a... Yeah, and just how sick the whole yeah, thing looks as yeah. well. It's, it's so good at like... <laughs> setting up that particular like late capitalism mm-hmm. ennui of just like feeling so drained and a part of cog in the machine because it is such like a really striking opening with that particularly with that uh eric burden cover of 16 tons going over it as well it's really quite like like i said to you josh it kind of give you a little warning because it has that once upon a time yeah. fairy uh, tale card and yeah. then goes into this like quite <laughs> mechanical and quite grungy sort of feel straight from yeah. the off and you're like hold up yeah <laughs> like the opening shot is the traditional foot stepping out of a car but it's sort of it's it's un- underscored yeah by the fact that it's interesting <laughs> immediately you, you, you know exactly who this guy is and what they're you know where we're starting from and his feet take such a beating in that opening he's, he's stepping in puddles and getting trampled on and all sorts and you've got the offensive haircut. Like it's a, that's the haircut of a lockdown man that just cannot bear to fix himself. He's like, nope, I am just yeah. I'm a melted candle. There, this is me. Um, yeah. And you know, it's got the kind of grungy Gillingham esque, like you know, jokes about petroleum jelly and um, suppositories, and I, I mean. Just terrible working conditions, let's be honest. Absolutely awful yeah. health and safety nightmare. Um, it reminded me of, at times like a Simpsons episode, uh, yes. this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because this is the sort of gag you'd get as they, you know, trudge into the uh, power plant. Mm. And the flights yeah. of fancy are kind of Simpsons-esque. That, you know, they draw, you know, there's a, there's a picture, it's very cartoony, there's like a picture of uh, her painting, you know, the, the second Meg Ryan. And we go into the painting to where they are, and beautifully, mm. the backdrop mm-hmm. is also a painting. And it's just a, sort of this kind of—it's—it's yeah. it's playing with the form, but in a in quite a cartoony way. I read somewhere that it was partially exp- inspired by, or at least resembles, an old Disney short with um, Goofy, uh, with kind of Hawaiian overtones that I'm sure also will have aged terribly. But um, <laughs> I. Uh, uh, yeah, there are some decisions as to who they cast for the um, mm-hmm. the native people that that is. Yeah, mistakes were made. <laughs> is that part? Yeah, it's a very. It's like okay. <laughs> uh, is that who I think it is? That is who I think it is. Okay, we're we all just going to ignore that. Uh, yes, because we're being swept up with the charm of it. But that opening sequence, yeah. If we just rewind back to that, um, it's really rather oppressive and horrid. Mm. And I think my favorite part of the movie is when he walks out of the doctor's surgery and Mm. it does this lovely pullback of the camera and you see this massive red brick wall where he's been going somewhere i guess in staten island to see this doctor and it just really tapped into something for me where he just goes up to a stranger and starts petting their giant dog (laughs) and Mm -hmm. i don't know i think that shot's an absolute stunner i think it's very yeah i was creeps up on you. you sit up again yeah very simple very it's very pure, and I yeah. and I, it, I I bought it and I liked it. Um, you know, it reminds me of every you know anxiety-ridden person's favorite phrase, or at least with me, it is with me, which is the good news is you won't live forever. And 
<laughs> and and that's and that moment is that it's hug the dog. If you like the dog, hug the dog. Mm-hmm. They, you know, yeah. and I, I don't know. I don't know. The opening bit is quite oppressive, and I think the saddest bit of all is seeing Meg Ryan looking so downtrodden and crushed mm-hmm. by it all. Yeah. It genuinely took me a while uh, to like, recognise that it was her. I, she was in a good couple of shots before. Yes, Dee Dee. Yeah. Yes, Dee Dee. That was. That was all. I'm gonna. I shall stop. I'm shall from stop. New York. I'm walking here. <laughs> That's the old accent you're saying. She has so many incredible voices <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> like particularly Angelica. <laughs> you read some reviews and people are saying, you know. Some of it's quite overdone. The voices are a bit much. And it's a bit like, I don't think you got your head around what this film was. Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. think you're appreciating it for what it is. The idea of saying that parts of this film are goofy, haha, is to miss the point of it. It's like, yes. Yeah. yeah. It's very heightened. You yeah. know, it's like, it's like saying, oh, is. <laughs> you know, Roadrunner, a bit faster than most birds. Uh, yes. <laughs> I agree. I agree that it is yeah. stretching the believability of birds that can run fast. What? So, did, did these people miss the part where it opens with "Once Upon a Time"? Did they not yeah. see that intertitle? And uh, I, 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 so I very much believe that if a film is true to itself and 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 sort of the the tone and the rules that it establishes for its own functioning, then it can get away with a lot. And I, I feel like, I mean. I guess we'll get into the uh, the, the island stuff and, and maybe the casting shortly, but I certainly think in terms of the, the aesthetic and the ideas the film is exploring, I think it, it does a, a bang up job, you know. It's um, and it's a real shame. And like, sort of expand from something I mentioned earlier, as well as this being the debut of a playwright, it was also the last thing he directed for eighteen years until two thousand and eight's uh, adaptation of his stage play Doubt, which is just a wild a wild thought that someone with with this obvious um ability and vision and was was not able to make another film until then and then following doubt was was last year's or maybe it was this year's uh, wild mountain time which um i suppose less said about that the better the, the more i hear about that film though the more it makes sense it's come from the same film it, exactly <laughs> exactly and and i really am so glad you brought up that film because i have seen wild mountain time and i would like mm. you know listeners to be aware that i'm going to give away spoilers for this film so Wild okay. Mountain Time, because it's implicit, it's it's kind of taken as read that you were going to have watched yeah. or be aware of the events of Joe versus the Volcano. Pleasingly, with Joe versus the Volcano, the title is the film, and I love that. Mm-hmm. And I think there's like a 20-strong list of, well, that's the movie. Brilliant. Got it. Uh, other versus films that play this game, like Scott Pilgrim versus the World, right? But Wild Mountain mm-hmm. Time, spoiler alert, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, is... A stage play that stars, that stars, and I'm saying this as an insult. It is a stage play that stars Emily Blunt, Jamie Dorden, Dornan, John Hamm, and Christopher Walken. It's about neighbouring friends, uh, one played by Emily Blunt, one played by Jamie Dornan, in Ireland, who have a will they, won't they, won't they, I hope they, don't they relationship <laughs> he's eccentric and bizarre she's eccentric and bizarre when will they get together if only they did oh what are we going to do with the farm and it ends more or less with jamie dornan's character explaining the reason why he can't connect with the world <laughs> or with her is because he thinks 
He's a bee. <laughs> he thinks oh. he's a bee. So, and I think, sadly, Wild Mountain Time doesn't have the budget to express itself in the almost singing in the rain style levels of the boat is suddenly going to be in a studio, the lights are going to be green, a typhoon is coming. I think mm-hmm. Wild Mountain Time shows its budget and it just doesn't quite work. It feels stagey. It also has some yeah. unbelievable, let me take the Irish accent off the shelf stuff. Like <laughs> Christopher Walken is, is very, very close to telling us about a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Like he is <laughs> he he's wondering whether you've seen his lucky charms. There's just there are a lot of really high uh, accents in there. <laughs> but it doesn't surprise me. I think what's to, to yeah. say Wild Mountain Time is from the same writer director as Joe versus the Volcano, absolutely. That it is from the Oscar-winning writer of Moonstruck. Yes, I get that too. But Doubt, I'm not going to say what <laughs> Doubt is about. <laughs> doubt is not about being a bee. Doubt no. is not about a midlife crisis. And I think the more exciting thing is that he also was the screenwriter, uh, and we're going to say his name again, John Patrick Shanley, of yeah. Congo. As in mm-hmm. yeah. the Michael Crichton and Michael Crichton, Michael Crichton, Congo, as in Congo, as in uh, Frank Marshall, Laura Linney, uh, uh, Tim Curry. Big what gorilla the... movie. <laughs> an extraordinary human being. A reminder again, he's yeah. won an Oscar. He's been nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. He, John Patrick Shanley, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I, I yeah. really do admire him, but. I do think this film feels like though because it's coming pretty soon after that Oscar win for Moonstruck as well. This like, and you were kind of saying there's like that feeling that no one's kind of taking yeah. a moment to step back and look at this because it just does just feel like the guy just won an Oscar for Moonstruck. Yep, let him do, let him do it, let him go, let yeah. him go. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I and I do love that kind of like energy of folly to it as well. But like even still, there's like a lot of my like notes are, are across this film were just kind of individual quotes that I took um, from going over it. Because, like, there's so many, like, little lines throughout it that I thought, like, Christ, that's quite, like, mm-hmm. it's very strange and lyrical, but also kind of, like, beautiful as well. Yeah. Like, his exuberance when he kind of knows he's going to die just kind of, like, changes up his whole uh, his whole world look. And it's like he's expounding stuff like, the door to the universe is you. You are the <laughs> one to uh, take charge of your destiny and what have you. And, like, even to, like, the way it kind of plays off its more surreal beats. Like, I can mm. particularly think the scene where Lloyd Bridges turns up as the uh, eccentric uh, millionaire who comes to him with the proposition of throwing himself into a volcano so he can... Uh, but before that, he can live like a king and die like a man. It's like, yeah, I love that. <laughs> would you like to? <laughs> would you like to do this, Joe? And then, like his whole reaction is just like, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, love, I actually yeah. wrote down exactly what he said. He says, live like a king, <laughs> die like a man. His response, all right, I'll do it. <laughs> I love it's so perfectly yeah. pitched. Like there's, 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 there's none of the sort of hero refusing the call. It's all it, a lot of his big moments are very deflated. And just to slightly go on a tangent, there's a great there's a great line reading by the end uh, at the end by Abe Vigoda when um, they're on the precipice of the volcano <laughs> and Tom Hanks says, say. "Is there any ceremony or anything?" 
And then Vagoda says, no, you just jump in. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's another one that feels quite Simpsons-y in the sort of deflating yeah. of, um, of ceremony and of, of occasion. And it's so, it's so, for, for something that's so visually, uh, a lot of the visual metaphors are very brash and bold and proudly obvious almost. Yeah. There is an awful lot of droll puncturing of that. And I think the two yeah, work together pulling. weirdly really well. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Like the <laughs> ornamental nibbling of the feet and the slapping with the fish, which is very Monty Python. Yeah. And then, the, you know, they've arrived on the island and, and they must be washed and cared for. And uh, it's all just a joke. It's all just, haha. No, yeah. why, why would we slap <laughs> you with fish? But at the same time, they are obsessed with a certain sort of soda. And everything they yeah. wear is made up of this soda. And when they arrive, they drink from the soda. And you just think, you're just doing it all. You're having your cake and eating it. You're drinking your soda yeah. and, and wearing it as a headdress too. It is an extraordinary film. And, and particularly as we discuss it on a podcast like this, anything and everything we say to somebody who's pressed play on this or they've fallen asleep and they've woken up hearing it and they don't know what movie we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a terrible shaggy dog story, like one of those <laughs> yes. stand-up routines where you think, "Oh, this punchline better be absolutely incredible." But no, it it, it just is what it is. It has yeah. this, yeah. it has this relationship with luggage, and and very well-made <laughs> luggage that borders on Terry Pratchett's Discworld, where it's this almost. <laughs> magical being that will appear when yeah. you need it to and contains whatever you need it's i, I it has a sequence May you and live I, for a thousand years I never, I never expected this movie to have a combination of the boy slash girl goes on a shopping spree montage which is a fun mm. bit in any movie and the wise old man typically black let's be honest expounding his knowledge Let's combine yeah. that. What? <laughs> <laughs> just that moment as well where it kind of builds into that, where he's like, the how serious the limo driver takes it. It's like, you've touched on something that is very serious and dear to me, and I cannot tell you how to do this thing, but I will guide you. <laughs> I, 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 that is why it feels so culty, is that different people will find yeah. different things funny to a different level. The back of uh, the second Meg Ryan character, her car at the back says bad girl, bad girl. And the front of the license plate says mm. good girl. Why? <laughs> because the film wants it to. It, it, it's just, yeah. you know, again, was there any producer on set asking why? And I'm annoyed that this isn't, <laughs> this isn't a film that's had an oral history. Because I feel like with its mm, 30th yeah. anniversary coming out, you know, hit us last year, you know, Tom Hanks again national world treasure he has said his favorite film is league of their own and it is an absolute winner and there are about three or four different oral histories but this feels like a film that tom hanks's you know greatest hits it wouldn't appear on the montage and i feel like that's unfair like i'm not saying every single thing Mm -hmm. he's done has been brilliant but there's nothing i think in 2021 there is nothing to be ashamed of here no no. no, and it, totally it literally didn't appear in the montage when he won the Cecil B. DeMille Award. I, I read oh, really? that, that this film literally <laughs> did not appear in the montage that was shown, which I, I think is an absolute crime because it, it is. It, I suppose this is around the time that he was transitioning from comedy star to more serious Oscar. Philadelphia, he wins yeah. two consecutive Oscars, not 
four years after this. And you can really see those two sides of Hanks at play and veeing with each other. And I think it is a beautiful I will say that For- Forrest Gump has very similar DNA to this movie. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. Another movie that's more subversive than I think it's given credit for, and we've, we, it comes up quite a lot on this podcast. Um, maybe we should we should do a bonus episode on it one day, Andy. But it comes up an awful <laughs> lot, and, and yeah, I, I, it, I think there's more going on than its biggest detractors give it credit for in that film. Uh, yeah, yeah, because everyone always looks at this period of Hanks's career as the bit of kind of like the nadir mm-hmm. of his whole filmography, because it is coming around. Yes, he has big kind of around this time, but it's also around like Dragnet and uh, Turner and Hooch. Money pit have their like that yeah which have their like uh, their fans who like really adore them but like like you say it it, it does just kind of get forgotten and like and I think it's particularly a shame when you consider how like highly regarded Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail kind of end up being as a kind of example of like the great like on screen pairings of, of and great examples of screen chemistry when. Really, that is all here, and like, and, and as as good as like Hanks is as this kind of average Joe who's down on, uh, like completely broken down by the demands of the modern world. Part of like why the film's like real kind of existential rom- romance elements work is is Meg Ryan on like the triple duty, yeah, and yeah. the way that she those characters are used to kind of reflect. The different points of his journey that he's going on there's uh dd who's also equally in a kind of a stag stag uh, point of stagnation in her life then there's angelica who's kind of in la and she's got this sense that she's sold her soul and yeah. has kind of lost herself a bit and this is coming straight after he's kind of yeah. sold his own soul to her father and she feels exactly the same way and then there's patricia who's the one who who is the the girl for him at the end of the day who is this one the individual who he kind of has to aspire to as she's trying to break away from all the kind of uh expectations on herself that she's kind of both placed on from her relationship with her father and just the sense of wanting to grab something and run it and like claim it as her own and have have a life beyond what is kind of expected of her and i like Meg Ryan is so yeah. like I I really like I miss Meg Ryan and things Ugh, me too because man. She, she is so good across the like the whole the whole gauntlet here yeah yeah this might well be this might well be her masterpiece just in terms of the variety of what she does and um mm. the where she gets to ultimately and I do love how the middle uh, character the, the Angelica the LA version of her her catchphrase is yeah. um, I don't know how to respond to that. And there is that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> several moments where uh, where Joe tries to be emotionally real with her, and she she often tries to sort of ugh, like shrug it off and be like, no, no, no don't, don't, let's keep this sort of. I, I can't deal with this. I don't, I, I don't know how to respond to that literally. So it, that that sort of <laughs> that is that part of his journey that I guess allows him to become someone who is more able to self-analyze and, and figure out what he needs to do. To. And there is also, I feel like at the end, each sort of section of his journey is capped off by him throwing away a hat in some way. Like in in, in the office, he yeah. throws his hat into the bin, and then it's like the recurring motifs of boat. ducks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like this sort of thing, this imagery is, is is sort of very obvious and very oh, go on. But it works. I really think that it works. I think the the mm-hmm. obviousness and the the the, the bigness. <laughs> 
of of what this film is doing visually um it works with the emotions it's going for i really uh i really i really buy those transitional moments and it kind of leads to this i mean probably no surprise to admit that i did shed a little tear at this film because it doesn't take an awful lot to to eke one out of me but it all kind of culminates <laughs> to me in that moment when um i think it's just before they get to the island and it looks like things are going pretty bad and uh, she's asleep on the raft and he's standing before the huge moon it's like the shot the film is famous yeah. for and he says dear god whose name i do not know thank you for my life i forgot how big and then he sort of trails off and says thank yeah. you thank you for my life and I, I found that delivery of that line was so oh, it has all that later tom hanks pathos and that sort of um the crystallization of all of all the emotional threads this film has set up now it, it, it's, it really really worked for me it really really did work for me it got, <laughs> it got me guys <laughs> i will say that it works i'd say because people told me it stank hmm. and it i think yeah. the expectation management really plays in its favor i was wondering if you guys have ever have you ever seen the secret life of walter mitty mm-hmm. yeah that's a gr- great point of comparison yeah. actually so yeah. that's like kind of a modern version of this movie and um you know, you've talked before about Cary Grant being a, a comparable kind of person when it comes to Tom Hanks. And I think you could also sneak in there, uh, I don't know, uh, 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 Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart is obviously the other one, but with <laughs> yeah. a better voice. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like um, Ben still is trying to do that with Walter Mitty. And I think it has a similar emphasis on perfectly chosen, eccentric, out there pop music that's kind of sprinkled across it. I think what Walter Mitty doesn't mm. manage to do, it manages to sneak in some horrible Papa John's pizza <laughs> plugging <laughs> two thirds of the way through a movie. Like they're doing this gorgeous Sigur Ross style <laughs> hoppy poller longboarding down this gorgeous mountainside. And hey, here's, a, here's an advert for pizza. And you're like, oh, you needed to make some sacrifices to make this movie happen. What, what, what makes Joe versus the Volcano so amazing is that it has... How the duck money? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. It seems to me, I don't know, but how are the duck money? It's a big bucks and many bills and no notes. <laughs> and yeah, I, I don't know. That can easily turn into some sort of mess. And I think it does turn into some sort of mess, mm-hmm. but I really like the mess. It's a bit like, <laughs> how can I put this? I hope this I like comes this orange soda. <laughs> does, this, does this come across as endearing or does it come across as patronizing? I think it hopefully does both. Uh, it's as if your your kid has started doodling on the lounge wall mm. and you look at it and go, actually, that's fine. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> You've actually written something legible there. Yeah, this, this, this is good, and I'm really proud of you, yeah. and I like it. <laughs> but you can't I, do I mean, it again the, for 18 years. <laughs> yes, exactly. Can't do it again for 18 years, and I think 18 years later it won't be as cute, darling. It won't be as cute. <laughs> um, I just was taken by this movie, mm-hmm. and I think there were moments that really spoke to me, and there were moments that I found a bit hokey. And there are moments mm. that I, I just think Meg Ryan is the most adorable, wonderful, oh, charming yeah. human being. Yeah. Tom Hanks dancing, you know, him playing golf on the on the floating raft. <laughs> just him going a little bit cast away by not sharing the water. Yeah. Uh, like there are just lots of little 
it's a very pure-hearted movie. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Oh gosh, darn it! It makes me want to not <laughs> swear in front of it. You know, it's like oh, no, just so. Cute. Oh heck! Golly oh <laughs> Oh sugar and spice. Um, yeah, it, bizarre, bizarre. And I think you know, after lockdown, we've all kind of gone through. Uh, a huge bout of self-loathing and who am I and what do I want and you know we're talking yeah. about the great resignation where a lot of different people across the world are going whatever my life is it's not what this is I'm leaving my job yeah. and I wonder if we should all mm-hmm. just watch this movie and have a little reappraisal because I think it does force you to check in with yourself and go how do I feel about this waves generally mm-hmm. um, and good for it for doing that good for it yeah yeah, I like. There's that line that kind of um, Patricia. I think it's Patricia that says it. Where uh, she says about her father says that almost the whole world is asleep and only a few people are awake and they live in a state of like to- constant total amazement. And that this film does feel like a very strong expression of like, bit kind of like being like just drop a lot of the of the ball and just kind of allow yourself to feel like a like a silly kind of like you say a child again just kind of running amok with every every yeah. and all idea no matter how good bad or clear clearly thought out they are just like let it all out on the page because who knows if you're going to get to do this yeah. again uh, with 20 million dollars to spare it's so about being a child it's so about taking the plastic arm and just rubbing it in your boss's face and it's exactly, so exactly and yeah. at the ceiling that's literally what i, I think I was the say. date <laughs> they have you know when they start singing that um classic movie song but it's uh kind of a mexican restaurant version um yeah on the street where you live i think it is um that date is they they sell that date like two children going on a date it's like two 10 year olds just going, yeah. Ah, ah, yeah, cool. Ah, I know what I'll do. And I think off the back of Big, you go, what if Big went out with Big? You know, yeah. this character's not called Big, but it's a bit like calling Bruce the Shark Jaws. But when yeah. it, it's it's like it's like two Bigs talking to each other. Um, and I, I I was thinking, oh, this movie's even weirder than I thought, isn't it? But mm-hmm. I kind of like how the first the first uh, Meg Ryan goes. This is too weird for me. Yeah, yeah, I'm backing out. Yeah. <laughs> and then yet again, it rug pulls and says, "I left my bag." And then she goes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. "I would have loved to have watched this movie not knowing that there were several Meg Ryans. I would love to have had that moment of that would have been a nice oh, surprise. That, oh, she's gone." I didn't know that. So I, I was thinking, how how is how is uh, oh, really? yeah how, how's how's she going to get to LA? At what point is she going to be? Is he going to call her up and bring her along? How's that going to work? <laughs> where's Dee Dee going to yeah, be? Yeah, where's, 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 where's little Dee And then I saw the woman with the 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 Joe. Is it Joe Banks? Is it Banks or Banksy? Joseph Joseph yeah, Banks. Banks. I Joseph Banks. The Joseph Banks Joseph sign. Banks. I thought, oh, she looks a bit Meg Ryanie. Wait a second! Liberty <laughs> Jibber got me. <laughs> I don't know what. I don't know what. I don't know how to respond to that. Don't know how to respond to that. It's, uh, Which, by yeah. the way, is a very, very useful thing. I think if I could give any imaginary person any advice, is that when you don't know the answer to something, you've got two options. You can say, "We've got three. Yeah. You can say you don't know. Mm-hmm. You can say I don't have a good answer to that. Or you can say, "Why did you ask me that?" And I, I think. <laughs> 
I think is a real purity. It's like teaching me. It taught me something, which is just say, I do not have a good answer to that. You don't need to just engage your mouth, ironic as this conversation <laughs> goes on, and, and let it run wild. Um, and I think that is a sign of somebody who is holding the handbrake on their life. I don't have a yeah. good answer to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of life's le- life lessons from Joe versus Volcano that I didn't expect to kind of end up walking away from. Yeah. And it, it was weird kind of coming back to it. Like, as I said, there's this that weird kind of tug and pull between seeing it now to when I was as a teenager and just like, one, I think I was probably a bit too much of an idiot at 14 <laughs> to really appreciate like everything that it was doing. But I also just don't think I was uh, quite a uh, quite re- like definitely wasn't like ready for it. And I, I fully agree with the kind of point you said at the top alley that like, again, if I was to watch this in about 10, 10, 15, 20 years time, it's going to have so much more of a kind of deeper meaning to mm. like to me. And I, like, it's not a film I thought going through this batch of Amblin movies that I thought I'd be like, all right, you know what? Joe versus Volcano might become a regular yep. rotation thing for me, but I'm, I'm starting to think it yeah. will. I would put it on as a, I'm eating a turkey sandwich, it's Boxing Day, <laughs> I'm a bit mm. hungover. Have you ever seen this film? Uh, sit down, it's got, you know, it's very difficult to recommend. I'll tell you nothing. <laughs> whilst also very easy to recommend. I, I just think there's something about yeah. it. It it or it does almost feel like a secret that you want to share with people. Yeah, cult classic, not a bestseller. Mm-hmm. I, I, I tell you what, it reminded me of is when they actually jump into the um, volcano. It has very similar CGI energy uh, to when, if you've seen this movie recently, in Star Trek: First Contact, Data jumps down the yeah. rocket, uh, like yeah, whatever that's called, <laughs> and it's like, oh right, so that's just that's. <laughs> You know, there's no way of making this look realistic. (laughs) And then, and there is not, there's a half a second where they disappear before boing. (laughs) It is honestly something out of a cartoon. And then they're back on the sea again. They're back on the sea. And the movie does have a bit of an ending, but then it just ends. Yeah. And it goes, oh, by the way, just to remind you, this was a fairy tale. Here are the credits. And even yeah. the font, I'm going to analyze the typeface, has this sort of like, mm. you know, 60s sitcom, you know, bewitch style font. And it's like, oh, yeah, there's a yeah. little bit of bewitchy sitcominess, 60sness to it, of course, because yeah. there's that kind of Honolulu obsession and, you know, uh, flower garlands. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't know what I'm saying, but I just wanted to bring up that volcano jump. <laughs> also, I think I think more marriages should just begin with "marry me," and then she goes, "Marry yeah. me, marry me, marry me, marry me," and he goes, "I don't want to get married." And <laughs> that's another the timing no- stinks. <laughs> you know? And I don't want to get married. It reminded me of that bit in Seinfeld where he goes, "I don't want to wear the puffy shirt." And he's like, <laughs> I don't want to be a pirate. I don't want to be a pirate. I don't want to get married. I'm really, I'm happy to jump in the volcano, but I do not want to get married. That, to me, is toddler humor. Like when you're telling the mm-hmm. anecdote of, I remember when you were three, and you know your friend kissed you on the cheek, and you went, Ugh, "I hate you," and now you're getting married. You know, there's there's that moments in this film have that that toddler humor. 
Yeah. God, I've said so yeah. much stuff that's really quite offensive to the film, but it, it I mean it. <laughs> but it, it works. It, I totally yeah. get what you mean. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. it, it is like, ultimately, it, it's quite a simple existential crisis and it's tackled on a way mm. that is very, very, like, it's like my first existential crisis, the way it's ultimately <laughs> done. And it, it is the simplicity of the emotion, despite all of the fabulous visuals and the artificial trappings, it's the simplicity of the emotion throughout that I think really makes it work. Um, and the, the note that it ends on, it, it's not really, like you say, it's not an ending as such as it is, just a, a, is, is, is it a new state, but to sort of, we're all, we're all Warwick students to get a little bit uh, Warwick student after too many cups of coffee. It's the opening shot is him <laughs> stepping in the one patch of water, you know, a, a, in, in the middle of a concrete area. The final shot is them sitting uh, on the one, you know, area of, of solid ground in the midst of a vast ocean. And it is like the, the, nothing, everything isn't fine, much like he said, but at least you, you know, you've got your, you know, patch of land you've got a sense of direction you've got the wind behind your sails and that as, as someone who is eyeing up 30 over the hill that's quite a nice uh, that's quite a nice sentiment i think yeah and he, they've got <laughs> someone to, to do it together mm-hmm. I, what's that yeah. great line yeah. when she says um you're gonna leave me on this stinking rock i only just meet you and then you're gonna leave me on this stinking earth alone and i was like oh i love that it's just mm-hmm. so i'm romantic yeah. and deal yeah. with it yeah, yeah. Actually, you know, you know, th- these lines in isolation remind me an awful lot of um, "Naive Melody" by the Talking Heads, which is a song. It's like their glorious sort of love song that's made up of a lot of sort of almost toddler-like romantic ideas. You know, are, are, you, are you much of a Talking Heads, Talking Heads man, Ali? Not much, I'll be honest with you. But anything that has a toddler romance, as it turns out, <laughs> I'm, I'm interested. <laughs> in. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, uh, we'll 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 tweet out a link to the song so you can listen to that while you uh, while you read the plot synopsis for Joe vs. Volcano. But it is yeah, it's effective. It Lovely. works. It works. Yeah, despite all the odds of its kind of ingredients, because like as as I was watching it today, my partner was doing bits around the house and kind of kept coming back in in and out of the room, and like every time she looked at the screen, she was like, "How is this still?" <laughs> the same <laughs> the same movie that you're watching and like yes as, as as you said Ali there's kind of like when you kind of describe it in that way that may not on the surface of it sound like a good thing but like there's just something in the moment of the kind of being in the eye of the storm of Joe versus the volcano that just ends up being quite you're always aware of how bewildered you're feeling as you're going through it but like it's quite a you really accept it in quite a like <laughs> in quite a loving way a, be it because of Hanks and Ryan kind of leading the whole thing or just because of how uh, delightfully absurd it is with itself. Uh, like, carte blanc as, the, as his Carte yes. blanc, <laughs> which is just <laughs> some really... Uh, there's some real treats in there. Like, there's some really... Yeah. There's some real treats. Yeah. It, this was a film... It was, it was a joy to read back through my notes in preparation for this. It's, uh, sort of... It also has left me on this earth, on the stinking rock, wanting a violin yep. case bar. I now want oh. a violin case, which is everything you need for a bar. I now, I feel like one of those people that, that read an Esquire on the tube, you know, we got left in a dentist's office, and you go, oh, well, now I need my own luxury silver 
nasal clippers. Uh, but, you know, when he has his montage, you go, well, maybe I need a violin case bar. <laughs> six different luxury credit card paid for bits of luggage. Maybe, maybe, maybe money and buying things will solve the problem. I need more steamer trunks in my life. I'm going to live for a thousand years. <laughs> no, we just, wherever we go, we'll always have that luggage. We'll go to the big <laughs> I think that brings us to quite a nice, uh, quite a nice point, gentlemen. I think it's a lovely rabbit, the big woo. The big woo. <laughs> big woo. Yeah. <laughs> Any final departing thoughts that anybody has? Before we uh, um, toss Joe into the volcano once and for all. Until next time when <laughs> we decide to that be- out again. In 20 years' time. It's a beautiful white dress she's wearing. And if they sold that in the shop, uh, I'm sure it would do really, really great. It's my last thought. <laughs> Here, what's the actual line? You can't die and leave me on this stinking earth without you. Stinking earth. That's it. That's the one. Beautiful. They're just like, I love you. <laughs> yeah. Also, a nice little twisteroo with the doc setting it all up and it was all the man all along. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He was just so ready to accept the as yeah. loose, loosely sketched an idea as brain fog. Yeah. He was so ready to be validated for his <laughs> hypochondria that he was just like, yeah, cool. Maybe, <laughs> uh, maybe I should get a second here. opinion, actually, after all. That, that I think, <laughs> is maybe the best joke in the film, is him going, yeah, yeah maybe yeah. I should have got a second opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah to joy anyway um, anyway anyway um let's let's put this yeah. beast to bed otherwise like i said at the beginning we'll never end <laughs> well thank you so much again for joining us with this ali i'm glad it's like you had had like kind of fun a journey like diving in and discovering joe versus the volcano <laughs> with us yeah i sure did and i i, I watched this um honesty on a streaming platform that i won't name but I watched it and it then said, how about you watch X, Y, and Z? And I think as I wrap this up, I'm going to go watch, because it feels in a similar camp for some reason, Secret of My Success, starring Michael J. Fox. I don't know whether that's a suggestion you I should I also have the on. same title pop up. <laughs> and, I just, and I just thought, yeah, all right. That's, <laughs> I think that's what's going to happen. Oh, lovely. Uh, where where can the good listeners find you if, they, if they're if they not already following you on the old social medias? <laughs> they can find me on the social medias, and that will probably point you in the direction of everything else that I do. But at Ali Plum, that is A-L-I-P-L-U-M-B, bonus B on the end. Um, I've got a show on iPlayer, BBC iPlayer, called, again, Movies with Ali Plum. Mm-hmm. Or, or you can find um, highlights of my stuff, my video interviews, on Radio 1's YouTube channel. And finally, I have a podcast called Radio 1 Screen Time um, where I talk about all sorts of uh, movie and TV nonsense. So yeah, that about wraps it up. Perfect. Lovely stuff. Google me. There aren't that many alley plums around. (laughs) (laughs) I also have that luxury of Andrew Godian. (laughs) You and me, bro. Millions of Josh Josh Glenn's. Well... It's been an absolute pleasure, Ali. Thank you so much for joining us on this peculiar journey. And we look forward to encountering you in the future. On the island. Have a good one, guys. (laughs) I have no response to that. Thank you once again to Mr. Ali Plum for joining us for our discussion of Joe versus the Volcano. Delightful uh, chat. Delightful chat. Right. A delightful chat and a delightful chat. chat. There you go. <laughs> it, feel, it felt, it felt uh, <laughs> worthwhile having someone equally 
as baffled, mm. but uh, in, and also being enamored, baffledly enamored, enamored, baffledly, baffled endearment, baffled endearment. There we go. That's a... <laughs> it's nice to go on these journeys together. Yeah. As, as Joe versus a volcano. Maybe that will be my first book that I'll write. It's about Joe versus volcano. It'll be called. Baffled and dim. <laughs> <laughs> but it is great. And we recorded that, you know, we banked that a bit ago, just to, again, pull the curtain up. But since that conversation, it has, um, oh gosh, I should have thought about the percolated nicely Percul- in my head. Percolated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm very, this one I'm very keen to watch again at some point. It's a, yeah. a film I enjoy. Like, and something we touched deal. on in that discussion as well. It feels like it's only going to be something that mm. as you get older. Yeah. Yeah, speaks to you a bit more. However, <laughs> depressingly, that may be the case. <laughs> yeah, what's that one Carl Wai quote that he says? Um, um, no man ever enters the same river twice because yeah, he is not, the, not same the same man, man and it's not, it's not the, the same, same river. river. Yeah, <laughs> which will be where Alice Walker got her. There you name. go. That yeah. is where it got. There. So maybe he didn't coin that expression. Maybe he just. Is it, I think it's a. I think it. it's a Greek expression. Oh, right. I, just, <laughs> <laughs> I just read it in an interview with him. <laughs> Made an assumption. Made an assumption. <laughs> uh, anyway, so um, put put the feelers out to our listeners and our followers yes. for uh, for responses to the film, and we got a couple. Mm-hmm. Which one do you want to take? <laughs> um, I'll take the one from uh, We Needed Roads. Uh, I, I like that Rhodes as at, a podcast name. Yeah. <laughs> Much, clearly quite similarly minded podcasts yes. is We Needed Roads. I have a chap there I got in touch to say, saw this years ago. And if I'm remembering right, it's about Tom Hanks' character thinking he is dying. So he decides to commit suicide by jumping in a volcano. <laughs> Perfect rom com fodder. Yeah, we we can we can confirm. We can confirm. Needed roads. That is very much what it is. <laughs> I don't know how sarcastic that final sentence was in that tweet. Yeah, it's hard to drive, isn't it, on yeah, Twitter? But I agree, unironically, that mm. it is. <laughs> um, I'm not even sure it's fodder. <laughs> Perfect rom com. Slightly elevated above above fodder. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I use the word fodder willy-nilly. Yeah, it's good fodder. Yeah. Good fodder, bad fodder. This is fodder. <laughs> Hello, fodder. Hello, fodder. Here I am. Can you Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> we're so sorry. And again, we're so grateful that you guys stick with us. Yeah. If you indeed are at this point. Um, yeah, the other tweet we had from uh, Andy Peterson, long-time contributor via Twitter and email. Uh, he said, I have no response to that. Which, if you've seen the film, is the perfect response to that. <laughs> because it had been so long, I'd forgotten that that was a lie. Like, oh, why is he tweeting that? Well, I <laughs> and then I realised. Oh. <laughs> so thank you both for, for those uh, offerings. Yeah. And, uh, and if you haven't seen Joe versus a Volcano, I think this whole episode will... Mm-hmm. Very, I hope it's, in, it's sparked some curiosity mm. in you because it is a weird one and it's a weirder one to describe and talk about because it's mm-hmm. yeah there's nothing there is nothing quite like joe versus volcano so it comes heartily recommended i would say <laughs> that I'm sure i think it's probably maybe the the first watch i've had on this podcast of like a fresh that i would uh first recommend time. the most yeah 
Interesting. Right. <laughs> we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, we'll see. In, we'll see as we, in as ten we, years' time, <laughs> yeah, yeah as, as the forties come knocking, <laughs> our forties. Also, the forties, I suppose. The, the new forties. Uh, what are we talking? About? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, we're, we're a little off there. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I need to go to bed. <laughs> in our next episode, dear listener, we'll be taking you back. Where? Back to the future. Part three. Yes, it's time to conclude Robert Zemeckis' sci-fi trilogy by stepping back into part three. And if you fancy watching the film along with us and don't happen to have it on disc, it is available to stream for those of you that have a Sky Go, Now Cinema, or Virgin Go subscription. Otherwise, you can rent or buy the film digitally from Amazon, Apple iTunes, Chili, Microsoft Store, Recruiting TV, Sky Store, and YouTube. Indeed, and if you buttheads have any thoughts on the film, please do tweet us at ramblinamblin or email us at ramblinaboutamblin at gmail.com unless you're yellow. <laughs> uh, it's also like the final Back to the Future and also the final Zemetis. Nice, yeah. Feels like you should have stuck Shame. around a bit longer in the Amblin canon, but here we are. <laughs> a, lot of them, a lot of them do feel, again, Amblin adjacent. A lot of the subsequent ones yeah. feel Amblin adjacent. Death Becomes Her feels like it should have been a it would fit in the in this nineties wheelhouse yeah. quite nicely. There you I feel go. like even Castaway might. Yeah, very true. Even What Lies Beneath. I just got movie that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, we'll be saying adieu to Zemeckis and the mm-hmm. Back to the Future trilogy in that ep- next episode. So that has really kind of coloured a lot of the <sighs> past uh, <laughs> the past twenty or so episodes. So it's going to be it's going to be an interesting one to put the capper on that. It's fine. <laughs> gonna miss it gonna miss it but don't you worry well i'm sure we'll still get like a good two hours <laughs> back to the future part three despite the fact <laughs> we've had two episodes of back to the future <laughs> so hold me ball game now <laughs> but until next time we hope you all do take care uh thanks once again to ali for joining us for this episode and thanks to you thanks to you once again for listening to us uh, we hope we hope you enjoyed it, and we hope you'll join us next time as we saddle up for Back to the Future Part 3. I've been Andy Gerian. I've been Joshua Glenn, in together. a way. <laughs> and together we have been rambling and ambling podcast. Take care and goodbye. <laughs>